So just um, so you know what's going on today, and we, we, are, we would normally be continuing on in the book of Luke. That's where we've been um, for, for all of this year, and we would be continuing on with Luke and talking about um, the, the Lord's Supper, and that's, that's where we are in the book of Luke. And that's what Seth would have preached on today, uh, but he is not here today, and so he will continue that next week. So I thought today that being the, you know, the day after Christmas Day, the day we celebrate, is still maybe fresh in our minds and hearts. Um, if you were here with us on Christmas Eve, or maybe you were um, do it with, with someone else, uh, another church, or just with your family worshiping on, on Christmas Eve, but all of that is still fresh in our minds, hopefully fresh in your, in your hearts as well. And so I thought it might just be a good opportunity to just go back and consider some of the things that were going on at the beginning of Luke, again, in Luke chapter 1. And so that's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Or starting in verse, I'm sorry, starting in verse, um, yeah, verse 5. But we're going to be looking at just Zechariah and then going on and, and, and looking at Mary as well. So, yeah, verse 8 is what I had on there. I'm going to just read starting in verse 5, but then we'll pick up. Um, if you want to look up on the screen or if you have their black Bibles uh, in the pew in front of you, the pew back in front of you, you're welcome to use those. You're welcome to take one with you if you, if you don't have one of your own. Um, but in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So that's sort of the, the lead up to where we're going to pick up in verse 8. So Zechariah, was, um, he was a, a priest. His wife was barren. She did not have a child. She could not have children. So then we pick up with verse 8. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this was a, a duty of the priests. They would decide that, um, which, who, whose turn, which group's turn it was, and then they would cast lots to see which individual would go inside. And so it was um, Zechariah's, his, um, his group's turn, and then his specifically, they cast lots, and he was the one that was to go in and offer incense. So they were to go in daily and offer incense, um, sim symbolizing the prayers going up to the Lord. So that's what he goes in to the, in, he goes in to do. So he goes in alone and everyone's um, still outside. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Okay, so he's in there. He is offering up the incense. The people are outside praying. So you see that image? They're outside praying, and he's offering up the incense, which symbolizes their prayers rising up to the, to the Lord. So just a neat uh, visual, a neat picture there, the way they would do that. And then an angel appears to him. This is not a normal thing. This did not normally happen when the priest went in to offer up incense. And so he is understandably... Afraid, it, it, it troubled him. It said, he, "Fear fell upon him." I think we would all um, we would all experience the same thing if we were in his place. 
Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So that's the message of the angel. They would, so he's telling him, your barren wife who cannot bear children, she will have a child. That's, you know, that's the, the, the big news right there. And then he tells him, you were to call him John. And so we know this will, this will be John the Baptist um, that we'll read about later. And we won't, but you know, if we continued on in the book of Luke, you would, you would read about John the Baptist later. You're probably familiar with John the Baptist. So this will be John the Baptist. And then it describes some things, things he shouldn't do. Well, this was, this was like the vow of the, the Nazarene. We won't go into all of that, but if you're interested, and it, it's similar to um, like Samson. You're probably familiar with him, why he didn't cut his hair. That was just one of the things that they were to not do to symbolize that they were set apart for certain things. Um, and so it says he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so he'll go in the spirit and power of Elijah. This was, this was something that they were taught that, that Elijah essentially was to come again, that when that happens, they were to look for the Messiah. And so he, John the Baptist, essentially is Elijah. He's not the same person. This doesn't mean Elijah was reborn, but he is, he is this is the, the, the um, it's like the symbol that he is coming in the spirit and power. So this is Elijah, in a sense, come again. And what is he coming to do? Make way, prepare the way for the Lord to come. Which is why Luke's gospel begins with John being born and not Jesus, because he's showing how John was to come first to prepare the way for the Messiah to come to be born. And Zechariah, and, and so here we pick up in verse 18. This is Zechariah's response. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So let's just stop there for a second. How shall I know this? What is Zechariah, what is he asking? He's, he's essentially asking like for, for a sign. You know, what, what sign will you give me? How, 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 can, I, how can I really believe you? And, and, and we see the source of his doubt. He says, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. But not only that, remember, she's, not, she's advanced in years and has never been able to, have, to, to get pregnant to be able to have a child. So, you know, his... His um, questioning is, is a little bit understandable. Um, does it not also hearken us back in our minds to Abraham and Sarah? And not only that, but then Isaac and Rebekah as well. I mean, this is, this is not a new thing where, where something must happen. A child must be born. So much depends on that. But then the woman is not able to bear children. And so it harkens our minds back to that. But, but Zechariah is saying, so what's, what's the sign? Like, how can I really believe you and trust you? So we, I think we can understand his, his skepticism a little bit. Um, but remember, he's standing in, in the presence of an angel. 
And these were scary people. These weren't like the little babies in diapers with wings. Like these were the like warriors. When people, when the angels appeared before people, they always fell on their face in fear. And so this is a scary guy who, you know, who knows what he's actually seeing. He's like, and he's asking, how, how will I know? Like, what's the sign that you'll give me that this is going to be, that this will happen? So he, he has doubt in the face of this news. Look at what the angel, how he responds in verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So that, that is the angel's response to Zechariah. Like, what more sign do you need? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent here to tell you this thing will happen. What more proof, what more validation do you need than what you're hearing right now? And so we know that, there, there's, um, that he does not have faith that this will happen because of the angel's response. So he's told this news. He, he questions the news. Again, like it, it's understandable. You're telling me that my wife, who's, a, who's you know, not to be to say it rudely, but who's an old lady right now that she's going to have a baby and she's never been able to, to have a baby to get pregnant her entire life. Understandable. But there, here's this angel sharing this news with him. And so he tells him, because you didn't believe this, you, because you did not believe my words, you're going to be silent. He's not going to be able to speak until the child is born. Until, he says... Um, Silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So it's like, this is the sign. Like, I am the sign that you're asking for. This is how you know it's going to happen, because I stand in the presence of God, and God sent me to tell you. That's how you know it's going to happen. Because you didn't believe, you'll be silent. So he doesn't strike him dead. You know, it's not like this um, huge judgment, but he says, you'll be silent Here's, you, you want the sign? Here's the sign. You're going to be silent until it happens. Is that the sign that you were hoping for? And so he goes out, and, he's, and, and we won't read all of that part, but he's unable to speak, and everyone's wondering what's going on. So that's, that's Zechariah. And we're going to read about Mary in just a minute. Before we do that, um, I do like to, to pray before, after we read the, the text or before we get into the, the main part. So um, would you just pray with me and um, just ask God to speak to us during this time. Father, I pray that as we, um, as we, consider, as we consider Zechariah and Mary, as we consider Jesus, the Son of God, born to us, God, would you just, um, would you just make your words alive in us? Would your spirit just stir up in us the thoughts, the ideas, the, the things we need to know, to understand about the truth of your word that will stand, that has always stood and will always stand. We pray this in 
the name of Jesus, amen. And so then we pick up with Mary in verse, um, in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. The sixth month of what? Well, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth being pregnant with John. So Gabriel, who was also sent to, to Zechariah, Gabriel is also sent to Mary. Um, so he sent from, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So here's Gabriel now sent to Mary six months later. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of gre greeting this might be. So she's, so here's Gabriel appears before again and, 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 and similar to Zechariah, wondering what's, what is, what is this angel here for? Again, this is, this is not just a normal everyday thing. You get up and there's an angel appearing before you. So she's wondering what's, what's this all about? What's going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So the, the opening, the, the greeting is very similar to the greeting of Zechariah. And angels always tell people, don't be afraid, because they must be very scary. Um, they always have to tell people, don't be afraid. But you found favor with God. So similar to how he, um, how he talks to, to Zechariah. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is the news to Mary. Again, similar to Zechariah about a birth to be expected. Similar to Zechariah, miraculous birth to be expected, even though um, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were married, Mary was not, um, she was a virgin, it was, still, um, it was still a miraculous birth because Elizabeth was barren, she could not, she could not have children. But look at the, how, how the angel Gabriel describes who is going to be born to Mary. First you shall call his name Jesus. Um, the name Jesus, it was the same name as Joshua. And so it carried a, that by itself carried a meaning with it. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. Now they would have known, understood the Most High is talking about God. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. There had never been a Son of the Most High that was born before. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Okay, so this is going back. If you've, if you've been here the past, um, the previous four weeks, we've kind of been looking, looking at this um, aspect of it. This was, this was the looking ahead part of Advent, the looking ahead to Jesus' birth. You know, originally promised to, to Abraham, and, and, and it goes further back, even further back than that, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but if you remember Abraham, it was promised that, 
that God would make of him a great nation. Again, Abraham, his wife also was barren, could not, could not have children. And, and when she was 90 years old, finally had the, the child. Um, so again, a miraculous birth. But God said, from you, a great nation will come and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what was that blessing ultimately? It was ultimately being fulfilled here in this verse in Jesus, that he was that blessing promised those thousands of years ago. So that thing they were, they were waiting for, they, or at least they were supposed to be waiting for, looking for for thousands of years, it's coming, it's coming true here, it's coming true now. The throne of his father David. So if you remember, we talked about just the narrowing of the scope. So it, talk, it started with Abraham, the nations, but then Abraham actually ended up having two sons, but it wasn't Ishmael, it was, it was Isaac was the son of the promise. So it narrowed to Isaac. Isaac had two sons, not Esau, but Jacob. And then Jacob was the, 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 um, the son of the promise, the one that this promise would continue through. And it was from him that the nation of Israel came. Jacob was renamed Israel. He had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes of Israel. But even of those 12 tribes, one of those was a tribe of the kings. And, and it wasn't all of the kings. It would eventually came down to David. So that scope kept narrowing to David. And, and God made a promise to David that his throne would endure forever. He would have essentially an eternal throne. Now, how can that be? I mean, David wasn't eternal. But it meant that one of his descendants would always be on the throne. And so that promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So he is giving, it says, the Lord God will give to him, Jesus, the throne of his father, David. How is, da how is David his father if, if he is God? Well, do you remember back up in um, verse 27, it says, Mary was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So he would, Jesus would be born into a family that was of the house of David. So in that sense, Jesus was both the son of God and the son of David at the same time. He was coming to fulfill all of these things that had been told before. And the, the angel Gabriel is telling Mary, again, it, it, an almost impossible, not almost, probably impossible thing. I mean, how many of us, if you, if you heard that news about, you know, yourself or your... Um, your, your wife, or I guess this would be her, the, the fiancé, would think, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is possible, this, this is going to happen, this is normal. Um, or would we be in such disbelief? Now, Mary's question, and Mary said to the Lord, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's not, really, it's not a question of disbelief, it's more, it's more a, um, you know, how exactly is this going to work? I'm going to have a baby, I know where babies come from, um, but I'm a virgin, so how is this going to work? So it's not a, I don't believe this question. It's more just, you know, what, what do you need me to do here um, type of question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So 
again, do you remember, if you remember back to Abraham and Sarah, that was the same thing that was told to Sarah when Sarah kind of laughed in derision, like, how am I going to have a baby? I'm 90 years old. And the response was, is anything impossible with God? And so the, the child will be born to a virgin. The Holy Spirit will essentially place the child inside of her, not inside of her womb. I mean, you know, it doesn't go into the details how it all works uh, scientifically, um, but that is essentially, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. So she would, she would still be a virgin when she had gave birth to Jesus. So again, a miraculous birth. This is, we're asked to believe a lot of impossible things in scripture. It's easy to take it for granted and almost think of it like a fairy tale, like, oh yeah, that was true back then. But it wasn't true back then. I mean, virgins didn't give birth all the time, but, you know, thousands of years ago. This is, this is a miracle. I mean, we don't use that word sp- sparingly. This is a miracle that it's describing because that is not something that normally happens according to the, the laws of the universe that God, uh, that God set up. But as the lawgiver, he's able to, um, to step in and act in miraculous ways. And that's what he's doing here. And so this is, you know, we, we mentioned a little, if you were here at Christmas Eve, mentioned this a little bit um, there, but, but, but just to consider what this means. And I don't mean from the scientific standpoint. I mean from the Jesus taking on flesh standpoint. So we believe in a, a, a trinity that, that there is the Father who is God, the Son who is God, the Spirit who is God. We, we, we don't see that laid out in a formula in the Bible, but we do see the Father referred to as God, the Son, Jesus referred to as God, and the Holy Spirit all referred to as God in different places. And so God is eternal. The Son is, it existed. He wasn't, he wasn't just created here. He existed already as God. This isn't like the times, like for example, um, in, in Genesis, where we see some appearances and, and we refer to them um, as, as pre-incarnate um, visitations of Jesus, appearances of Jesus. And, and why do we call it that? Pre-incarnate. In, so the incarnation, that is, that is Jesus becoming flesh. So you, you know the word like, Carnal, for example, um, that refers to the flesh incarnation. So it's when Jesus became flesh, took on flesh. So pre-incarnate would be would be appearances of Jesus before he had actually become a man. So there there are times in the Old Testament when someone appears, who appears as a as a man and is referred to though as if the person is God. Well, we know that when God the Father. If, if he makes an appearance, it's in this cloud of glory that, that cannot be uh, withstood. It's, or if you remember Moses being stuck, he had to be stuck in the cleft of the, of the rock. And just, the, the, just the, the tail end of God's glory, just a, a, a glimmer, a glimpse of it passed by. And even that was almost too much for Moses. So we see these appearances in Old Testament and so it, it, it doesn't exactly explain, but, but it's believed that these are, are Jesus, but, but not Jesus like, let me become a man real quick and then, and then hop back up. It doesn't work like that. Um, that was something else. 
this, this, is, this is something else in, in, entirely that we see in Luke. Because this is permanent. I mean, just let the weight of that sink in. That when Jesus enters the, the womb of this young lady, Mary, there's no going back. He lays aside his rights as God. And when he takes on flesh, it's permanent. And you might think, well, but he's not that anymore. But he is. He is. He did not stop being a man. He did not stop being God, but he did not stop being a man. Because when he rose, he was still a man. He, was, he had a resurrected body, um, which was the first fruits of, of the resurrection. But it was still the body of a man. So Jesus still exists, not, not in the same way that he existed um, while he was living on earth. He exists in a resurrected body, the same body that we have if we were raised in Christ. But this was something Jesus stepped into. There wasn't, it wasn't just, okay, let me just take this off now. I'm done on earth and go back. This was Jesus becoming like us. And it wasn't just a, a small thing. It wasn't a temporary thing. I mean, I, I don't think we can, we can fathom, and we shouldn't be able to because we are not God. But if we just consider the, the sacrifice of Christ that did not just happen on the cross, but began here, laying aside his rights as God to be born as a baby in a manger. In verse 38... At Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is, you know, a young lady, probably no older than like our youngest college students. And, and here she is being told this and her response is I'm the servant of the Lord let it let it be done to me according to your word I mean compare that to Zechariah's response well how what, what, what sign should I look for you know other than the fact that an angel's standing right here in front of me what 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 other sign what else do you have for me her response is a response of faith whereas he did not believe she believed. So then we continue on. What's the next verse I have up there, Betsy? 46. I just want to, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, and so Elizabeth, Mary visits Elizabeth. Um, not that we need to just want to skip over that, but I want to go to verse 46 because this is, this is, um, the Magnificat, the, the song of Mary. Um, now, how do we know it is, it's a song? I mean, there aren't, you know, there aren't little notes written there, like musical notes. So, oh, she was singing. You know, how do we know it's a song? Um, I, I think it's more in the, um, the, the construction of it. It's, it is in a song-like form. Um, but it is also a, a prophetic word. It's also a prophetic word. And we've talked about prophecy before. Prophecy isn't always just, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen. Because there's very little here that she's, 
that she's saying will happen, it's more an explanation. It, it's more the um, just like this spirit-infused word that brings to light what's going on. And this is such a, such a deep text right here that we're going to read. As she just brings truth from ancient truth to bear on the situation at hand to explain what's happening, what's going on. So let's, let's read it together, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So, by the way, again, this is her response to all of this. <laughs> this is her response to all of this. She's not, she's not freaking out and running around trying to figure out what to do. I'm sure she was worried and there was some stress there, but this is her, this is her response. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So that is Mary's song of praise. That is her response to all that's happening. Bear in mind, time has passed. She's a betrothed woman, meaning she's promised to Joseph, um, but they have not been married yet. So it would have been known that she is pregnant out of wedlock. And she's been you know, living like that for some time now. And this is, this is her response to all that's going on within her. You know, we, in, in, um, as Protestants, and maybe you're not Protestant, but I speak for those of us who are, we kind of get a little um, leery when we get to Mary um, because we don't, you know, we don't want to sound Catholic or something, and so we don't, we, we tend to overlook Mary um, but that's to our, to our detriment, to our shame that we do. We don't need to exalt Mary you know, too high, but, but if, this were, um, if this were David or if this were Abraham, you know, we speak highly of them and we look at the things they did. We say, yeah, they, they were men, they were women. Um, you know, Deborah, people like that, we, we, we talk about them and, and we... We don't revere them in the same way as God, but we look at the good things they did and say, wow, wasn't that great what they did? And man, wasn't that terrible what they did? And, and praise God for his grace. Um, but Mary, Mary responds with such faith. Mary responds with such faith. But beyond that, I mean, the things that she says, like, 
He's brought down the mighty and exalted those of humble estate. She's talking about herself. She's talking about herself. Why was it done this way, not another way? I mean, why was, why was Jesus born versus just show up in might and power and glory and, 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 and so that everyone would know it would be clear to them? Um, why didn't he show up as a powerful king? Or, or why didn't he wait until, you know, like sometime around our time when there's all this technology so that everyone could see where all the cameras would be pointed on him. There would be, you know, YouTube videos and TikToks and all of it. It would spread like wildfire. You know, why in, in, in this silent, quiet, humble way? What, is, what does Jesus want to teach us through the way that he steps, makes his appearance into this world growing in the womb of a young woman for nine months, like all of us have done before we were born. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The things that we strive after in this world that we think are, are good and right, and, and this is what we need. And God just eschews all of that. He's like, nope, I'm not doing it that way. I'm doing it this way. I'm exalting the humble. I'm going to take this, this little girl. No one knows who she is. Except now we do. <laughs> but at that time, I mean, she was nothing. She was nobody. And it was through her that the Son of God would enter into the world. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. I mean, this, if we were to break it down, there's so, so many references from the Old Testament, from the Psalms and other places, that, she's just, that are just pouring out of her mouth. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And remember that when we talked about Abraham? I mean, she's going all the way back. I mean, here's what's crazy. This isn't... A 70-year-old theologian who has spent all of his or her time, you know, studying the books in, 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 in her office, um, teaching and, and all of these things. This is a very, very young lady, and lady might be a stretch. And where is she getting all this from? <laughs> I mean, yes, the, the, the spirit... But I think, too, I mean, Deuteronomy, the parents were taught to teach their children these things. Do this and do that. Put this here. Put this here. When you do this feast, when you, when you observe this, um, this Sabbath, do all these things so that when your children ask you why, you'll tell them all these stories. You'll tell them all these things. Maybe God chose Mary because she had faithful parents and grandparents who had passed down the stories. Because when she heard from Gabriel, no matter what, what fear or stress or anxiety she had, she knew, ah, it's happening. It's happening. 
She knew to expect it. She knew that God was helping, that, that by Jesus being born now, God was helping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She knew the mercy that had been promised all those years ago that they'd been waiting for. When will it happen? It's happening now. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, she knew that it went all the way back to the promise to Abraham. That from him will come a nation, that from him will come the blessing to all the nations. She knew that it's, it's happening now. All of these things, they're happening now. This, this baby that's growing in my womb, this is the son of God. I'm sure if she thought about it too much, it would blow her mind. But she knew, she believed that it was happening, that God was fulfilling his promise. It's all happening now. You know, in the, um, the, the gift of language is so great because it allows us to communicate just great truths. We can put sounds together. They make words. These words have ideas, and those ideas communicate things to our minds. We have grammar that, that allows us to make sense of things. Some people have it better than others, but that's okay. Um, but but it, all throughout this, it uses what we call the, the present perfect tense. Present perfect is when you talk about something that happened in the past, but it, it has relevance now. So, for example, if I walk out and the door's open, I would say the door has been left open. I could say that. Um, the door has been left open. What I mean is somebody opened it, but it's... But it has relevance now. I'm trying to say it's, it's important now. I'm seeing it now. All of this is present perfect talk. It's talking about things that were from the past, but she's seeing them now. She's seeing them come into fulfillment now. She's seeing them come about now. They have relevance now. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry. He has helped. What she's saying, not that, that these are things that have been going on, but it's all coming true in her, in this baby, in her belly, in her womb growing. This is it. This is the hope of mankind. This is the promise. This is the yes and the amen to every promise of God now. And she recognizes it. She sees it. Compare that to Zechariah, who, who didn't, who didn't see that. Again, can, can we blame him? We can't blame him. I mean, that, that is a hard thing to swallow any more than we maybe would blame Mary from saying, are you crazy? This, this can't happen. This isn't possible. But the lens through which she viewed things, the, the, the ears that she heard with were different. I'm not saying that Zechariah was not a man of faith, because he was. In, in the end, when the baby was born, he came out and wrote on his, whatever he had, his little chalkboard he walked around with, his name will be called John, and his tongue was loosed. So in the end, he, he did believe. It said before that, he was a righteous man. But even as, as righteous people, even as people in Christ, we can view the things around us we can we can look at christmas and we can get a little bit of it but miss the the the, the bigness of it the depth of it this this deep well of truth 
of it that's wrapped up not in a, in, in a day, but really in all of life. You know, this, this Christmas season was a little bit different for me. Um, thinking through Advent, starting, I guess, the week before Thanksgiving, because um, just a few days after Thanksgiving was the first Sunday of Advent, and kind of came on a bit quick and trying to think through how do we how do we say the same old things without them sounding like the same old things again? Where we, where we go, yeah, 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 we know, we know, we know, we know. And then we move on. And then we, you know, we open our presents and we have our feasts and we celebrate and we, we listen to our songs and our Christmas carols. And we do all the same things again. Like, how, how do we hear the same things? Because we're not looking for new things. You know, we're not saying, well, just out with the old and with the new. No. How do we go back to that well and instead of drinking it from a straw, you know, dip our, our, our buckets in and just dump it on ourselves? I mean, Zechariah, surely he knew the things that Mary knew. Again, she's just, she's a young girl. He's the, a, a priest. He would have been taught these things. He would have known these things. And yet when it's beginning to happen, he doesn't see it with the same anticipation. He knew the old things. Mary knew the old things. But somehow they were old without becoming stale. I mean, isn't that the challenge every year? How do we celebrate the old things without them becoming stale? How do we talk about Advent again? How do, we, how do we celebrate Christmas? How do we do a Christmas Eve service again where we don't just walk out and say, well, that was, you know, that was nice or that, that, that met my, my, nostalgic, my nostalgic needs or um, you know, those things that, that well up in us at Christmas. We sing songs about white Christmases and the chestnuts roasting on the open fire and these things that we, we've come to associate and, and they're, they're good. Like there, there's something sort of magical that happens where everybody, whether they believe in Jesus or not, just at that time of the year, kind of reaching out for something beyond themselves, looking for something beyond themselves, even listening to songs about Jesus, the Son of God, come to earth on the radio, even singing along, not believing a word of it. But there's, there's something magical that happens. And I don't mean magical in a fairy tale way. I mean like the, the deep magic of like Tolkien and, and Lewis. Um, the, 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 the truths that go beyond us in our reality that we get glimpses of and hear. There's something that happens where we're looking for that. And, and this year it was kind of neat because I was just, I was wrestling with God over these things. Really. Like, what, what do we do? How do we do this? And as I did it, I just, I would just soak in everything I could. I was just reading. I was listening to podcasts I, um, of people not just talking about, hey, isn't Christmas great, but talking about the deeper things. And when I started to realize it was, I wasn't reaching for the nostalgia I was, I was reaching more and more and more and more for Christ. And, and I wasn't left 
empty and wanting like those warm feelings always are. I mean, it was 60 degrees yesterday. We lived in Russia for 10 years. Like, I love a white Christmas. I should have been depressed yesterday, and somehow I wasn't. Because Christ does not leave you, sad, uh, does not leave you empty. I did not do that. <laughs> it was Betsy. <laughs> but, but Christ does not leave you empty like those wants and desires do every year. When, when you drink from that well, when you, when you go all in, like Mary, I mean, when you get it, then your soul, I mean, magnifies the Lord. Your spirit rejoices that God is your Savior. That He's looked on the humble estate of His servants. He's looked on us. That He was mighty. He's done great things. That His mercy, He gives mercies to those who fear Him. That his own arm brings strength. That he did it himself. He didn't just send another. He'd sent prophet after prophet. Judge after judge. He sent many. But that he did it himself. He looked and he saw that no one was able to. So he said, my own arm will bring salvation. And it would cost him the life of his son. That he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Those who desire to lift themselves up. Scattered them. The, the pride in the thoughts of their hearts brought down the mighty from their thrones, just confounded the wisdom of the wise and exalted those of humble estate. We would rejoice in that as well as we see ourselves that if, if that is not true, then we have no hope. Because he exalts those of humble estate, because he has mercy and pity, because he remembers his promise, that at this Christmas time, even though it's the day after Christmas, we can rejoice like we've never rejoiced before. The old doesn't have to be stale. The old can be new again. It can be fresh every day. The daily bread that we go back to every day. This is a time of year when people look back and look forward. And it can be so hard when we do that in our own strength. Look back at all the things, all the ways we fell short. Look ahead hoping that, hey, maybe this year it won't. But we know. <laughs> we know. But that's irrelevant in Christ because it's not up to us. It's not up to us because he was mighty. He's done a great thing. He's helped his servant. We are now in the same faith of Abraham, of Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That's now us. If we are in Christ, we are his offspring as well. That same hope has come to us. So I just, as we, as we close, we pray in a minute. The, the, the call to action is to just believe. Believe not with a stale faith, but with that, that freshness. Not, be, not because it's a new word, but because the same old promises still hold true today. Because his word does not fail. Because it's true every single day. That we would have the same eyes to see with, same ears to hear with that Mary did, and we would believe in the great promises of God, that we would rejoice in them. That when we see the things happening around us, that we would see the deeper truths behind them, the deeper magic behind them. Not a 
not a Christmas Disney magic, but the deep workings of God who is fulfilling all of these things through his Son and now through us, offspring by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your Son. Would you just breathe that newness, that freshness into us, not because we found something new, but because we found something old, but that is deeper than we can imagine, that has great truth beyond what we can comprehend, and yet you, you reveal it to us little by little. We get to be a part of this. We get to experience it. We get to see it. We get to know it and understand it. And we just view life through that lens of faith so that when we see impossible things, we would rejoice because they're from you. So we rejoice in what's from you today. We rejoice in Jesus today. That he is the fulfillment of all of these good things. That we have hope in him that he was born to take on our sin. He was born to live the life we could not live. He was born to stand in our place and die, but to raise again, defeating death and bringing new life. We rejoice in that new life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.